For all creatives who know that they're called to make an impact in the entertainment industry, we have such an amazing interview for you today. I'm going to be interviewing a new friend. His name is Phil Cook, president and founder of Cook Media Group out in Hollywood, California. And so get ready, get a notepad, because we're about to go deep with some awesome questions with this guy. Check it out. Well, everyone, on today's episode of the Direct Life Audio Experience, I have a really, really special guest with us today. His name is Phil Cook. He's the founder and president of Cook Media Group. Phil, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm thrilled to be here, Cap. I'm really looking forward to this. This will be fun. This is going to be a really fun conversation because I have uh, plenty of questions to ask you and stories to share with you. And I obviously, we're here to hear your stories too. But um, I'll just, first, before we get into the cool stories sure. of how I've started to uh, hear about you and follow your journey, please share with our audience some of the things that you have done in your career and what are you currently working on and excited about? Oh, well, we've done a lot of stuff. We've been around a long time, our team at Cook Media Group, and uh, we've worked with a lot of the largest churches, ministry organizations, nonprofits in the world. We've done everything you can imagine from PBS documentaries to Super Bowl commercials, but our real heart and focus has been on helping Christians tell their story more effectively. You know, very often we're telling the greatest story ever told. We just don't do a very good job of telling it, and I'm a big believer that this generation speaks the language of media. And unless yep. we can learn to speak in that language well, we're never going to make much of an impression. So we do all kinds of things. We consult with a lot of organizations, churches and ministry organizations and nonprofits. Uh, one of our clients currently is the, media, uh, the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. We've done all the media that led up to their launch and we're doing a big project with them right now. Uh, we produced the, uh, the Hillsong movie that was in theaters a couple years ago. And uh, we've just done a number of things like that. Salvation Army is a client. We love working. We love working with those guys. And so we just work with a lot of organizations trying to help them use media to tell their story more effectively. That's awesome. I, I could just go down that list and, and start talking about each of those items. I actually, I'm from the DC area originally. Um, and so I went, I went back a few years ago, got to check out the Bible Museum for the first time. Yeah. And <laughs> It's pretty remarkable. I mean, going through it, they said that if you were to try to go through the whole thing, it would take you a full week of like, yeah. you know, full work days. And so it's amazing. We, we had a crew there every month for three years documenting the construction. And then we also filmed um, their archive, which is incredible archive. I mean, the, like you say, it'd take weeks to go through it all. But we filmed a huge part of their archive over the years. And so it's, it's really, and, and they did such a brilliant job. I mean, it's one of these things that you can go and really be proud of. And it's just an amazing piece of work. So we've been thrilled helping them get that story out there in the media. What a privilege. I mean, man, that's a, that's a big project. Uh, I want to share this real quick because this is going to lead into the first okay. question that I want to ask you. Um, so I, I don't know if you, I've been kind of following you on social media for a while. Um, you ha, you're like a meme master, first of all, on Instagram. So <laughs> keep up the great work. As far as you said, the language of media, you've learned the language of memory very fluently. And it's <laughs> well, I tell awesome. when I, when I'm teaching, when I'm teaching social media with our clients, I usually say, when it comes to my Instagram account, just, just disregard everything I say, because it's just my <laughs> playground. I just kind of have fun with Instagram. So I love yeah. it. It's, it's, I always get a laugh when I see what you're posting. So thanks for no, that. Thank you. Um, I will say one thing uh, that is just really meaningful about this call for me today is 
I've been a believer, just so you know, for I think about seven years now. I got saved, yeah, seven years. I got saved in 2013. I was studying film at the University of Miami down in Florida. And I had just gotten, I literally had just gotten saved. It was March 11th, 2013. And I was at this youth, um, it was like a youth thing at this church called Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale at this, it was like a evening thing for the youth called Icon. And the youth pastor was, uh, he was preaching that night. I don't even remember what the message was, but he said a quote by you. And he said, (laughs) he said, uh, I, I forget how he weaved it in, but he said, um, he, he, he quoted Phil Cook and he said, Hollywood is great at making fake things look real. And the church is great at making real things look fake. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, like it cut me <laughs> to the heart so much. And it was yeah. such a, it was such a relevant revelatory moment for me as a filmmaker who, you know, I've been looking for my purpose all my life. And then I can't come to know Christ. And here I like kind of have this epiphany moment. God was using a quote that you shared to really kind of direct me with what he wanted me to be a part of. So I wanted to thank you for that because little did you know, like the work that you've been doing and the craft you've been committing to, it's actually made a pretty eternal impact on me and my work. So well, no, that's, that's interesting thanks. to know. That's actually a saying that's been around here in Hollywood for a long time. And it's, a, it's an indictment, you know, to the church. It's, it, is, um, yeah. you know, it really says something about the quality of the work we do and the lack of expertise that we have. And I'm a big believer that it takes more than passion, more than calling. We've got to actually go out there and do the hard work of preparing to be a great producer, writer, director, actor, whatever it is. That's so very, very important. And we're not going to impact culture until we really make that decision. I think you're 100% right. And, and that's, this is exactly where I wanted to transition into this question for you. Sure. And the question I have is, where did your faith and passion for media first collide? Can you recall? <laughs> well, you know, I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up in North Carolina. My dad was a pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina when I was growing up. And it's funny, I, I back in those days, it was before home video, certainly before the internet. And, um, but I had my dad's, I would take my dad's Super 8 film camera. They had little three minute little rolls of film. And I had a group of buddies, then we would go out and make mafia movies and space movies and army movies and all kind of stuff, never having any thought. It never crossed our mind. This is something you could do for a living. We just enjoyed doing it. So when I waited, went away to college a thousand miles away, I thought, well, I'll take the movies and my dad's camera with me and see if somebody else would like to do it. And um, the first day of school, literally, I'm unpacking, my films fell out of my suitcase, and a guy across the hall, Rod Carlson, I'll never forget, said, hey, I'm taking a film class. I can show you how to edit those things. I had no idea you could even cut film. So he took me downstairs to the film department that night, and we worked most of the night on my little movie, and the professor happened to be there late working on a project of his, and he came over and introduced himself to me and said, hey, I've been watching you work on your little movie here. And he said, I've got students that have been taking this for three or four years and they still don't do this well. Could I show wow. your film in my class tomorrow? So I said, you know, sure. I, if I can sit on the back row. At that point, I was a music major. I didn't know what else to major in. <laughs> so I, I sat on the back row the next day. They showed my film and believe me, it was nothing to scream about. But at the end of the movie, they started discussing it. And this, this thought hit me. It was the mo- probably the most crystal clear moment of revelation I've ever had in my whole life. This thought occurred to me that if I could do something with a camera that makes people talk like this, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. Wow. So I literally changed my major that day, and I've never looked back. And um, that's been driving me, driving me all this time, the idea that if we can do something with a camera that gets people talking and discussing ideas, that's what I'm supposed to do. So 
yeah, that's that's kind of where it began as a freshman in college, and I've stuck with it all these years. It's I I think what's interesting about video is one thing that I tell because I I run a little digital media agency and we work with clients in the marketplace and yeah. our clients you know are now just kind of getting used to this idea that video it not only can, it should be used for business, right? Yes. Because it's really the new form of literacy of our day. That's how I it look is. at it. In um, fact, statistically, let me tell you this, Caps. Please do. Statistically, it's, it, short videos, you know, four to six minute videos are the number one marketing tool in America right now. In fact, wow. uh, there's more internet bandwidth taken up with short videos now than anything short of Amazon Prime or Netflix. In fact, I heard last year for the first time since the beginning of the internet, watching short videos actually exceeded watching porn online so for the first time in the internet <laughs> yeah exactly I, I never thought that would happen but now uh, it, it's just it really says something about the power of short videos I've heard that 52% of people that watch a short video want to find out more so that's a big reason companies nonprofits ministry organizations are using short videos in a more effective way to tell their story oh goodness we could go down so many rabbit trails I'm just gonna <laughs> ask a question off the off the cuff um, why do you think, why do you think so many people are having a hard time shifting to communicating through video? Cause we're seeing like, it, yeah. I would say over the past decade, it's gone from this very luxurious thing that maybe you could afford if you were a big timer, yeah. but now it's like, no, if you're not, if you're not investing in video, whether you're just an influencer or uh, a small business, or I, I know that you're passionate about equipping the church. I mean, yeah. churches, like if churches don't get video, it, I mean, they're going to get crushed. So but yeah. what do you think is standing in the way for most people? I think there's a couple things. Number one, people hate change. Early in my career, I wrote a book called Jolt to get the jump on a world that's constantly changing. And it was mm. really designed to help people position themselves for this accelerating change that's happening in the culture. And I discovered that change is probably the most difficult thing people face in their entire life. We have one study indicated that a significant number of open heart surgery patients within two years go back to their old lifestyle, the smoking, the drinking, the eating wrong that got them there in the first place. So the fear of death doesn't make a lot of people change. So change is a real challenge for people. The other thing has been this technology shift has happened so quickly. Now, keep in mind when, so when I started my career, when I had my first job in television, a camera, uh, just a low level video camera cost a quarter of a million dollars. And it's, it, it took a truck to move it from one place to another. If we wanted to shoot remotely, we needed a giant truck. So that has moved to where now there are a couple film festivals in the country uh, that are designed around movies made on iPhones. So now we suddenly have a film studio in our pocket and that accelerated change has happened in, in, in a really remarkably short time. So I think it's going to take a while before people really catch up to the idea that we should be using this in a much better way. So I think it's a couple things going on, but I do see really positive changes. One of the statistics I saw recently was that 55 and older people watch the same number of videos as 20 somethings. So Goodness. older people, before my dad passed away, I was every day, I'd get like five or six short videos he'd send me via email. You know, I felt like saying, dad, lighten up a little bit. But older <laughs> folks really have embraced short videos. And so I'm just seeing across the board that it's being accepted more and more. Wow. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I need to like data source all of these facts. I'm like writing uh, down. These are, these oh, are yeah. amazing I hope statistics. I'm not ranting on you here. This is what I wanted. This is, I mean, it's coming out of your heart. It's clear that you're passionate about this and it's clear that you're, 
you're looking at, you're doing your homework too, to show like, this is, this is not just some, because sometimes I think people, especially in our world where, you know, we want to sell our idea, like you need this video series or whatever, but right. you're looking at it from a very practical standpoint saying, no, this is, this is the future. And it's not even the future. It's, it's the now it's happening right now. And we need to really embrace is, it. It really is. And you know, what's really accelerated this as far as churches are concerned is the shutdown because of COVID-19. Yeah. You know, wow. in churches, it's interesting before the shutdown, Lifeway research indicated that 41% of churches in America had never done anything online. They'd never offered any resources, any services, anything. That's almost half the churches in America. But trust me, once that shutdown happened, I'm sure those churches changed their tune quickly. And they've, you know, I, I tell, I, I've told pastors since the shutdown that, look, I love missions. I love evangelism. I love education. But right now, it's your communication and media teams that are keeping your church alive. So pastors, if there's anything good that's come out of this, pastors are starting to realize that that live stream audience is a legitimate congregation and I need to treat them intentionally and engage with them because that's a really positive thing and that's going to help us grow. We saw that happen with our church this year too. And I I was serving as the communications director role for our church. I've, I've since then resigned that position from that position. But I'm telling you when COVID hit, it was like the Lord just kind of like tapped me on the shoulder and said, all right, it's time to go. Cause now we got to take this entire ministry and put it online and put it in a a digital format. So, well, you know, it's, it's funny. You can see this little bit of the window behind me there. I'm in my home office and I'm on the Hill above the San Fernando Valley here in Los Angeles. And I can look out that window and see Walt Disney Studios, Universal Studios, Warner Brothers Studios. And since the shutdown, they've pretty much been ghost towns. Only now are they starting to accelerate and get their production back in gear, which means that for about six six or eight months, the church was producing more media than Hollywood was. When Whoa. you really think of the number of, of media streams and platforms and live streaming that was being done all over the world, I, for the first time, certainly in my lifetime, the church was producing more media than Hollywood. And that was a great thing. So I'm, I'm really thrilled that churches, media directors like you, communication guys, have really stepped up to the plate and done something, really risen to the occasion to make that happen. I, this is okay. So this would be a good transition to my next question because right. I think um, one thing that I think uh, Christians who are media minded, who, who, who do have gifting there, who do want to be in the entertainment industry, there can be a little bit of intimidation with how big of a Goliath this industry is and how, and how, Hey, I mean, you've kind of already mentioned it, but how the church thus far just hasn't really been creating content that is, I mean, what, there's a reason why people cringe when they hear it's a Christian film, right? Yeah. So yeah. I guess the que- one question that I want to ask you is if we have any standing chance to make a dent in this industry, I think we do. I think, in fact, like you said, we have the greatest story stories to tell. Yeah. We, why aren't we telling them at the level that they deserve to be told? And so the question that I have is, what do kingdom-minded creatives need to know about the entertainment industry? Because you had so much experience in it. What do they need to yeah. know about the entertainment industry to really yeah. hold a fighting chance? 
Well, first of all, I, I, I encourage people to stop thinking about the uh, stop thinking about Hollywood as the enemy and start thinking about Hollywood as a mission field. So if good. we're really ever going to change, we're not going to change Hollywood because we criticize it. Um, you know, people don't change because you get mad at them. Um, they change because you develop a trust relationship with them and win their confidence. And so what we have today are hundreds and hundreds of Christians, really highly skilled Christians who are working in the entertainment industry. I can tell you at almost, well, pretty much at every studio every level of the studio, television networks, uh, and they're also at Silicon Valley. I had a very interesting conversation with a high-level executive at, at Apple just yesterday who's a dedicated Christian. So I think what we're seeing is, you know, it takes people who are willing to come out here to Hollywood, infiltrate the industry, and really start working from the inside. And one of the things, Cap, I tell people is if you really feel called to do that, if you're listening to this or watching and you really feel God's calling you to Hollywood or you know, have some impact on the industry. First of all, I always tell people, don't lead with your faith, lead with your talent. Mm. Every year I get people coming out here who say, God called me to Hollywood to change the industry. And they go tell that to producers or they tell that to TV network executives. And of course they get laughed off the lot. People sure. aren't interested in that. That, that. That's ridiculous. But if you come out here and you're a gifted writer or an actor or a producer or director, Trust me, if that wins their trust and their confidence, they'll listen to anything you have to say. So I always tell Christians, and this would be true in any, if you want to be an attorney or a doctor or anything else, always lead with your talent, win their trust because you're good at what you do. Because once you can do that, then they're much more open to listening to what you have to say. And I think that's the key to making a difference pretty much in any industry, especially Hollywood. I, I think of the story of Daniel as you're talking about that, because yeah. you see Daniel, I mean, oddly enough, we're talking about media and Daniel was uniquely gifted in Babylonian literature. So it wasn't even the literature or the communication style that his, that his people were familiar with. It was the language of the culture and he and his, and his homies, they became really excellent and competent at communicating through this language and through this literature and that gave them a position of influence to be able to change the culture for the kingdom. So that's a great example. I think I, I think Joseph is very similar. Mm, you know, he yep. got list, he had influence because he was really good at what he does. I, you know, it's funny. I'll have Christians who send me screenplays, and they'll say, "Phil, I'm so passionate about writing," and I want to say, "Yeah, but you're terrible at it. You know, go learn <laughs> to write first. Um, we get oh, hung up gosh. on that passion." Thing. We feel like, and I think to answer your earlier question about why we're not doing more, why we're not being more effective in the industry, it's largely because we feel called and we jump right into it, or we feel yeah. passionate about something, we jump into it. Well, let me tell you, great writers spend years developing their writing skill and their talent. The same with filmmakers, the same with producers or actors. Don't think you can skip that hard work and still win people's respect. So I'm glad you're called, I'm glad you're passionate. But let me tell you, show me some dedication, show me that you've really, I, you know, it's funny, I, I, I talk to people all the time that wanna become, wanna to come to Hollywood, and I'll say, well, have you taken acting classes? Have you taken writing classes? Well, no, I really don't have time for that. And I often think, you know, would I wanna have brain surgery with a doctor that really didn't have time to go to medical school? Um, and yet Thanks. we think we can get away with that in the media business, and we really can't. So we just have to focus on, preparation how do we how do we compete and that's being as good as anybody else another thing that i've discovered about myself actually because when i went to film school i went i mean more i mean passion is important for sure because yeah. it like oh, it, yeah. it'll keep you doing the work that otherwise other people would uh, would quit after a while but you're right it can't just end there because there's yeah. so many passionate people and passion doesn't 
necessarily equate to competency. And but I would say, you know, for me, going to film school, it definitely started with passion. And the classes mm -hmm. that I was most interested in were, you know, cinematography and editing yeah. and screenwriting. And but it's so interesting because I look back and the one class that was probably the most important class that I paid the least amount of attention to was the business of film. And so that's the next question yeah. I want to ask you is how, what advice, what business advice would you give creatives that are alert with the craft and alert with the artistry, but don't really, can't really think about their, or haven't really thought about their craft from a business perspective yet? Well, I think that's a mistake I made as well. I, I think I, I wish I'd have spent much more time learning about finance, learning about fundraising, because here's the deal thousands of people come to Hollywood every day with their hat in their hand. They've got a project they want to do, but they, they're asking for money. Let me tell you, if you have the ability to go out and raise the money yourself from investors, from donors, wherever it comes from, you immediately go to the front of the line if you're at a studio or network. So whatever you're pitching, you always have, it's always going to be a better reception if you can help fund the project. So I think one of the mistakes I think we make is not teaching young creative filmmakers how this money thing works. You know, it, uh, a lot of it has to do with Hollywood with, you know, we, we criticize the type of movies they make, but they're trying to, it, it's a business. They're not trying mm -hmm. to destroy Christianity or destroy the American family or destroy the American way of life. They're just trying to make a living out here. So if we could figure out how to tap into that financing model and how to raise the kind of money we need to make projects, we'd make a much bigger impact in a much quicker way. So yeah, I think that every creative artist needs to at least have some kind of understanding of how the financial model works or partner with someone who does. That's the complete package. When you can get both the creative and the financing all together, then you're going to make some a real impact. And Forgive me because I'm, I'm throwing these questions at you without really preparing you, but you're doing a great job thus far. So, okay. but I, I am curious in that down that route a little bit, if there's, yeah. if there's a resource or a person to follow, or even just a quick tip that you would give to somebody that has, they've got a screenplay, they've, they've been developing it, they're ready to launch this thing, but they don't have the financing. How, how would you recommend that they go about securing that investment? Well, there's a number of books out there on film financing. You can, you know, order them on Amazon. They're pretty easy to find that are actually really, really good um, on, the, on that subject. There's a number of online sites that are focused around helping fund a film and finance a film. And you, you, now, now we have, you know, crowdfunding options that we didn't have before, whether it's Kickstarter, Patreon, you know, multiple sites that help people launch projects like this. I just, uh, I just saw a, a recent project that was a, a, a dramatic narrative series on the life of Christ. It was all crowdfunded and they raised an enormous amount of money for that thing. So there are a lot more options right now, but I'll tell you, I would just tell people, you just need to be aggressive about going out and looking for these things. I get people that will ask me those kind of questions and I'll think, hey, just Google it. You can find an enormous amount there. There are some master classes online. And I also would encourage people to think, you know, a lot of Christian colleges, a lot of film schools have online classes that are focused on that very subject. So I'm a visiting professor at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in their film department. And so we teach a lot of online classes on similar subjects like that. And I know Biola University does it, Regent University and others do that. So I just would encourage people, be aggressive, be intentional, go out there and the resources are out there. We just need to get serious about finding them. That's I. I love that. I have so many people that come to me asking questions like that too. And I just say, 
I'll tell, I'll tell you exactly what I did. I went yeah, to YouTube. Yeah. I looked it up on Google because yeah. it is all there. But, you know, sometimes having the language for what to ask is, is you know, the, the best thing That's that true. you can give somebody. So thank you for that. That's no problem. extremely helpful. What are some things that are inspiring your craft recently? Is it, have you been getting uh, inspiration from other things you've seen or even just visions from the Lord or I'm just curious? Yeah, I have a cloud of fire that comes down and surrounds me once a week. Now, <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I, I, you, that. you know, it's funny. I don't. Uh, I get inspired in a lot of ways. Um, I'm an avid reader. I, I, well, you can see behind me. That's just one of about four bookshelves I have in my office, about that size. I'm a, I'm a real focused reader. I spend an hour or so every morning reading, and sometimes before I go to bed at night. I'm just a big reader, number one. The second thing is my wife, Kathleen, and I both are museum hounds. We, we get to travel because we our company, Cook Media Group, is client-driven. We're constantly going around the world, speaking at conferences around the world. So we are hardcore museum people. And I just love to be exposed to new ideas. I'm just baffled at people who have no desire to travel, who never go to a museum, don't read. I, I talked to a guy the other day and I said, uh, you want to be a filmmaker? He said, absolutely. I said, well, what, what have you been reading about it? Well, I don't really read. I don't have time to read. Well, hello, I don't have much help for you. Um, I just think that we need to be exposing ourselves to new things constantly. I love magazines because magazines are even more current than books as far as visual style and what trends are happening in the culture at any given moment. So I think when it comes to inspiration, you know, the novelist Jack London said, um, you have to go after inspiration with a club. And I agree. You just got to go be aggressive about it. And um, it's don't, don't wait. And that, that's a big myth, I think, about creativity. If you're waiting for an idea to hit you, you're going to be waiting forever. You have to go out there and make those ideas happen. And part of it is being aggressive about how you're inspired by things and where you go to do that. I've, okay. You're crushing it, man. This is great. I, <laughs> one thing that I want to encourage, I want you to help encourage some creatives with right now. Cause I've, one thing that I'm really passionate is about is helping creatives find direction. I've discovered that there's creatives who are like kind of bottled up. Like they have so much vision, yeah. so many ideas, but they don't, they either are, they don't know how to like take a first step towards that or they're fearful. They're locked up. They're, they're procrastinating. I don't know what it is. It's so, there's so many different reasons, but what have you seen as far as like these, uh, the, the best advice to help these creatives move from a place of, of not taking action to stepping into being aggressive. I mean, you use that word a yeah. couple times, you use it about, yeah. you know, looking up your research, uh, getting investment, but then also going after inspiration that there's gotta be some yeah. drive. And what, what would you yeah. say is for well, some advice for those people? I'm a big, I, I, uh, I, well, first of all, you're exactly right. And, and I work with a lot of creatives and because we're like you or a client driven company, we deal with deadlines all the time. I have to deliver and deadlines matter. Right. And so there are, I, I can't, I can't have an excuse that I just didn't, it, I didn't feel it or it didn't come. I, I've got to deliver at some point and some date. Um, a couple of things I would recommend to creatives out there. Number one, first of all, understand that everyone is creative. I, I whenever we talk and, and, 
I speak at conferences, I get people that come up and say, well, you know, Phil, I just wasn't born very creative. I'm not a creative person. Well, let me tell you, there's no shred of evidence that indicates some of us are born creative and some of us aren't. Sure. Everybody is born equally creative. Now, the question is, are we using it? Now, what we've discovered, I mean, for instance, get a bunch of toddlers in a room and they're mm -hmm. all wildly creative. That's right. But research has also shown that about age six, we start to lose our creativity, which means I think there's something about our educational system here in America that makes us start to lose our creativity. So wow. that tells me it's like a muscle. And if we're not using it on a regular basis, we are going to slowly diminish and, and eventually lose it. But I'll tell you two things that gave me a huge uh, boost uh, when it comes to creativity. One is finding out what day I'm, uh, what time of day I'm most creative. You know, we all have circadian rhythms and everybody has their peak at certain times of the day and night. And what I've discovered is between 6 a.m. and noon, man, I'm wildly creative. That's when I focus my time on my books, screenplays, whatever I'm working on, my blog. If I need to be intensely creative, it's got to be between 6 and noon. Now, here's the thing. After that, I can do podcasts. I can do interviews. I can meet with clients. But as far as intense creative work, I'm worthless after afternoon. Other people, my wife, for instance, Kathleen, is a rock star, man. She keeps late hours. She, she, the later she goes, the more energized she becomes. Um, and there's a small sliver of people that, that are, are most creative in the afternoon. However, here's the thing. Find out what that time is for you. Experiment a little bit. Play with it. Figure it out and then try to plan your day around that. Now, I know a lot of people have normal jobs and you can't totally block that time out. Sure. But when I learned I was creative early in the morning, even when I was working at a full-time job before I launched our company, I would come in two hours early before anybody else. I'd come in at 6 a.m. before 8 o'clock. And I'd come in and spend those two hours working on my books. And I wrote my first two books in those two-hour slots wow. and working every single day. So my productivity went through the roof. The second thing I'll just say quickly is find out where you're most creative. We blow mm -hmm. a lot of our creativity by not focusing on the environment. For me, I'm easily distracted. I am so easily distracted, you can't believe it. So <laughs> I probably a bank vault would be the perfect location for me. <laughs> you know, I need, I, I can't have my windows open. I can't have music playing. I can't have the TV on. I've really got to focus. But for some people, I, I've seen some research that indicates that the dull roar of coffee shop conversation is really stimulating to some people creatively. So find the place where you're most creative and try to get there for your creative sessions. Whatever time that is, wherever you want to be, you need to be there. And so just figuring out what time you're most creative and where you're most creative, if you can lock into that, your creativity will shoot through the roof. I mean, it transformed the way I thought about creativity and the output of the work that I did. So just little intentional steps like that can make a dramatic difference. Now, obviously we're all distracted. You know, the, the average person sees roughly 10,000 media messages every single day. Wow. You know, we check our iPhone now about 150 times a day. And so we've got to start controlling those. And, and one thing I would just say, so and I'll good. shut up here, but one last thing I would say is you need to control your distraction, uh, yeah. your, sorry, your interruptions. You know, I've read some research, uh, it's actually been out there a long time that when you're interrupted, when somebody just walks into your office and starts a conversation and you're in the middle of doing something, you know, real creative focus, once that person leaves, it takes you between 20 and 40 minutes to get back to that same level wow. of focus, which oh, means man. how many of those introduction interruptions can you stand in a day before you blow the entire day? So just by controlling interruptions, controlling your distractions and figuring out where you're most creative, what time you're most creative, those four things alone will transform 
your creativity. Sorry, I didn't mean to <sighs> preach, but that's that's a really big stuff with me, dude. Preach away. That's because <laughs> I've read a. Uh, have you read the book Deep Work by Cal Newport? Great book. Really, oh, terrific. Man. highly that, recommended. That book changed me. I I read yeah. that book at the beginning of this year, and one of the things I mean that element of, I, I think about it like scuba diving, like in order for you to, like you have to, it takes time to go into that deep trance-like state of creativity. Yeah. And like you said, distractions kind of pull you to the surface. And and I, I know that, True. you know, I'm sure that you've experienced this. I've experienced it in my own creativity and others as well, where you get into this like, this matrix mode where you're just creating and like time kind of, the sense of time disappears and you're just, you don't even hear certain things, you're just locked in. And that's where true creative breakthrough happens the most. But you, like you said, you have to be disciplined to schedule that. Yeah. And I think what's, so what's helpful too is when you create a, a block of time and having some self-awareness to know this is when it's appropriate for me to do this and it's when I'm actually most effective at it. And then also different environments that you might actually have to drive to. Once, yeah. you're, once you're in that time and place, it's there's this element of I can't afford to waste time because I, I drove here because I only have a couple hours. And so there's there's a sense of like you've invested yourself into that. Yeah. And I think that you're going to get a lot more out of it because you've made that commitment. So that's I, I, you could not I could not agree more. I think you're exactly right. I, I, and, you know, it's simple things, Cap, like turning off your freaking notifications. Oh, Turn dude. off your notifications. I meet people all day that they're Do notified every time a news story pops up, every time an email pops up, every time a text message. I'm going to tell you, I have clients, major league clients all over the world that I have to res be responsible to and respond to. And yet I've turned off my notifications. If I, if I don't do that, I'll never get any work done. So learn to just turn your notifications off and start there and it'll make a big difference. I'll also add, cause I, I noticed this because when I reached out to do this interview with you, I had recently hired the same person, but you have an assistant that helps you coordinate times and things like yeah. that. And that's exactly why I got an executive assistant as well because, and obviously the person who's listening to this bit of advice, it's obviously gonna depend on where you're at in building your business or your yeah. wherever you're at in your career. But I will say with a very low level of investment for only a few hours a week, to hire somebody that can take some of that communication and scheduling off your plate, it allows you to be free from, you know, missing an important notification that somebody else could take over. So that's true. You start realizing where am I the most valuable? Am I most yeah. valuable booking my airplane ticket or arranging a, a, a meeting or a podcast or something like that? Or am I more valuable focusing on this script that we have to deliver next week? Uh, or this project, developing this project with, we're doing with a client. So really focusing on what you're best in the world at and creating your time around that, that's what I think makes a big difference. I agree. Uh, I want to circle back to the thought that you had about Hollywood being a mission field. And one thing that I think is really important that we need to remember is the gift that we have, the craft that we have, our excellence, it's an important uh, entryway into relationship, into influence, but it's really meant to be a bridge through which the gospel or the truth travels over. And that's where, yeah. I mean, God's got you brushing shoulders with people that, you know, a, a pastor or somebody in full-time ministry or vocational ministry, I guess you could say, they're never going to reach. So God has strategically yeah. positioned you in these places to see ministry go down in unique ways. And so one of the questions that I wanted to ask was, can you recall a significant time and you can keep people's names anonymous, but sure. where you had the opportunity 
to minister to somebody in a way maybe that you weren't even expecting to, but it was because God had positioned you to work on a certain project with them. Oh yeah, it happens to me, it happens to friends of mine. I'll give you a great example from a friend of mine who's the director of cop shows. He directs, you know, regular uh, weekly ser cop series shows and like, like Law and Order and stuff like that. And he told me one time, he said, you know, I don't fly my Christian flag on the set. He said, I have 50, 60 people on my crew that work with me every day. And he said, I don't make a big deal about being a Christian, but he said, it's interesting how when somebody on my crew is going through a struggle with a, uh, their marriage or with alcohol or with drugs, or they've lost someone they love, when they're going through a really difficult time, they always find their way to me. And I think that's the Holy Spirit. I think when, when you work on a film crew or, or in, with any organization who is not Christian overtly, I think that you don't have to constantly be handing out tracts or telling them that you're a Christian or trying to witness to people. Just be who God's called you to be. And I think the Holy Spirit will bring people towards you. And I think, you know, I, I, everybody in town knows that I'm a Christian. And yet, after all these years, I've never had any pushback uh, because of what I believe. And I think it largely goes back to that thing about leading with your talent. They know if they hire me, they'll get a good producer, they'll get a good director. They don't have to worry about my skill. And so they're much more comfortable with talking about faith and talking about religious issues. And you just have to be sensitive when to broach those kind of subjects. And you do get opportunities. Karen Cobell is a, a close friend of mine. She founded the Hollywood Prayer Network. And her goal is to get Christians around the country to pray for people in Hollywood and pray for the industry. And uh, she, it's funny, she said a number of times that she'll go in and meet with an executive. She'll meet with a major producer or a movie executive who has no desire to be a Christian, not remotely a Christian. But at the end of the meeting, Karen will always say, hey, would you mind if I prayed for you? And she's, she says that she's never been turned down. They always wow. say, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. We'd, I'd love that. People so are it's hungry. really interesting that you don't have to proclaim that you're a Christian. Just be there for people. Uh, when I wrote my book, The Way Back, how Christians blew our credibility and how we get it back, one of the statistics we discovered was that more than 70% of people in America don't even know their neighbor's name. So look, you don't have to launch an evangelistic ministry if you're trying to reach the culture. Just go meet your neighbor. Start there. And I think that's really the key. I, that's, so, that's so encouraging. It's so simple. And, and yeah. I think it, really, it takes a lot of the pressure off of, well, I'm there. Yeah. I got I to gotta have this script kind of memorized, so to speak. No pun intended. But you just go and you be yourself and you just genuinely love people. And as really? the opportunity comes your way, then yeah. obviously jump on it. So absolutely. Uh, one, one thing that I, we're going to wrap up pretty soon, by the way, I know uh, we said no about problem. 30, 40 minutes, but okay. one of the, um, one of the, I, I look at Daniel's life a lot. I, I was sharing with you just kind of the parallel that we were seeing there with media and Babylonian literature. And one of the things that I look at Daniel is a real archetype for us to, who are engaged in media and who are engaged in the entertainment industry is there's, there's one example of, you know, him obviously being engaged, being all in with the culture, but he also set up boundaries. He set up standards yeah. for himself. It says that when the king was giving his, his delicacies and the meats and the wine to all of the workers, Daniel and his, and his three amigos, they basically said, you know what, we're not going to defile ourselves with this food that was sacrificed to idols. And so one question, and I, you know what, I'm, I'm also a big person on, um, you know, every person's going to have different convictions based off sure. of who they are and what God's called them to specifically. So it's not about, you know, holding legalistic standards to everybody, but I'm curious right. for you, what are some things that you've seen as, as God's called you to the industry that you've, you've recognized 
that you're just not invited into. God's saying, no, I want you to draw a boundary here. I don't want you to work on these projects or talk this way. Could you speak into that a little bit? Yeah, we fired a few clients over the years. Um, it's, it is it is interesting, and you're exactly right. It is different for everybody. I know, for instance, I have a friend who is a strong Christian, and he's a director here in town and loves horror movies. He feels like hmm. Christians should be more involved in horror movies. He's got, a, he's got a whole theology of why we should get more involved. You know, it's a, it's a moral universe. He knows who the good guys, you know, who the good guys are and the bad guys and the bad guy always gets what's coming to him. He's got a whole theology about it. So he's into that. A lot of Christians wouldn't be. Um, One of the things I tell particularly actors and actresses when they come to LA is that whatever those boundaries are, you need to establish them before you get on a set. You need to establish them now because when you get on a film set, for instance, if you're an actress, you get on a film set and suddenly out of the blue, the director says, you know what? I think we should do the scene with your top off. You know, you you should probably, let's do it as a nude scene out of the blue. Uh, And that happens regularly. Um, And suddenly there are 60, 70 people standing around on the crew. The clock is ticking. Money is, you know, being spent like crazy that, you know, you're, you're going against the clock. And so there's enormous pressure on the set to decide, do I do that or not? However, have you, if you've crossed that bound, if you've decided on that boundary ahead of time, you're perfectly comfortable saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not willing to do that. My wife had that happen early on in her career. She was, she was kind of almost threatened on the set with, we want to do this. And she, you know, she was very firm in her conviction. She wasn't a jerk by any means, but she, she decided ahead of time that that's not something she was going to do. So I think the key thing to remember is whatever your boundaries may be, decide on them ahead of time because once you get in that client meeting once you get on the set once you get in that creative meeting the pressure is too great it's just going to be really hard for you to make the right decision at that moment so know ahead of time when you're getting into so yeah i've, I've had numerous projects well i wouldn't say numerous actually very few but i've had a couple that that we just didn't feel comfortable doing and and we learn we're you know we've done this for a long time so we pretty much ask the right questions and try to figure it out ahead of time before we actually get involved in the project, if it's something we want to do or not. That is such good advice. I I think that might've, that's a great way for us to close this, honestly, because I think that's going to, for me personally, I'm going to be praying into like, okay, what have I not settled with myself and the Lord about this is the line that I'm not going to cross. And I would encourage anybody listening right now to really take some time, take some inventory of who you are, what God's called you to, and what has he not called you to and making that decision now, as you said, Phil, so that when the time comes, you've already determined. I mean, that's that's what it said that Daniel did. He determined in his heart to not defile yeah. himself, and so he set up he set up his parameters in advance. And the other thing sure was, like you said, he wasn't a jerk. You know, he didn't stand up at dinner in front of everybody and proclaim his morality, and that he, you know he was not going to lower himself to their standards. He t- he went aside to the guy who was responsible for the meals. And said, look, we're, we, we don't feel comfortable doing this. We just bring us vegetables. And even when that guy got nervous, he said, look, let's just try it. Let's experiment with it. So I love the way that Daniel was very sensitive about how he negotiated that. And so we don't have to be a jerk and be arrogant about these things at all. We can be very sensitive. And that, that is another thing that helps win over people who might be our adversary. Fantastic. Empathy. Lead with empathy. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So Phil, as we're wrapping up right now, I want to give you an opportunity to give a plug for something that you're working on, maybe a book that you're writing or have written. Um, what's one piece of, uh, of literature or work that you would love to just share with the audience? 
Well, I just finished a book. It's interesting timing. I just finished a book this week called Maxim. Can you, is that a backwards or forwards? I can't no, that's tell. that's forwards. We can see that crystal clear. We <laughs> it's can called see it. Maximize Your Influence, How to Make Digital Media Work for You, Your Church, Your Ministry. It's, it's really the key to this book was something I wrote for ministry leaders, pastors, church leaders, to help them understand that it's not just how to do a website, how to do social media. It's really about how to think digitally. This world has completely changed the way we should approach these things and our strategies for telling our story. And so I wrote this book to be a reference to help pastors and church leaders. And, and even if you're a communication and media director at a church, I'd encourage you to get it. But the best way to get in touch with me or find out what I'm doing is at my blog at philcook.com. I'm cook with an E, P-H-I-L-C-O-O-K-E. I'd encourage you to check it out. I'm constantly posting. I've got a podcast of my own on Apple and on YouTube. And so, yeah, that's probably the easiest way. My blog at philcook.com is kind of the center of my universe. It's where, where I've got everything. So it's probably the best way to find me there. Cool. philcook.com. We'll put that in the description notes of the podcast. Super. Phil, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I feel like I'm better. I know that our audience was enriched. And uh, man, I, I look forward to meeting you someday. This is oh, it's, it's pretty surreal that we got to chat today. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you.